Hello and welcome back to The Path, the podcast from Lifestyle RX. My name is Dan and joining me as always this week is uh, Dr. Brennan Byrne. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I had a very good night's sleep. Excellent. That's going to uh, guide into uh, the topic for this week, which is what to do if you're not sleeping well. So we're going to talk all about sleep. I think this is part one, so there's going to be some more um, parts to this in uh, future episodes. But for now, um, let's jump into it. So I guess uh, first thing we'll go over is why is sleep uh, part of our, like the 4 plus 2 diabetes reversal strategy? Why is sleep so integral to, uh, to this uh, prog- program? So sleep is, is one of the plus twos, right? And, and so they're, I kind of call them wild cards. And so if you're sleeping well and all is good with your sleep, then it, it may not have a, be a factor at all. Uh, that being said, uh, a lot of people, well, a lot of people in general have trouble with sleep. And a lot of people with type 2 diabetes have trouble with sleep. And when you have trouble with sleep, it tends to activate cortisol. And so we think of cortisol sometimes as, as you know, in the morning, it's our get up and go hormone, uh, but it is our stress hormone. And cortisol has a whole bunch of effects that kind of make insulin resistance worse. So people that aren't sleeping well get higher cortisol levels and those higher cortisol levels contribute to further insulin resistance. So it just is, it's kind of like headwind as you're trying to make all these other changes if you're not sleeping. Um, and I always kind of joke with people, it's like, you know, you, you, you might be able to lose weight by sleeping better, which seems like a pretty good deal compared to when I'm usually telling them to get up and go exercise in the morning. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so then uh, I guess uh, next question is, does everyone have to work on their sleep or how does the, how do you like, how do you make your sleep better, I guess? Yeah, so so short answer is no if you know uh, some people have very good sleep and so i usually have kind of uh, a number of questions that i'll i'll ask so you know uh, do you feel tired when you awaken right so when you get up in the morning do you feel tired are you exhausted all day can you fall asleep easily at any time during the day and so essentially if you know if you you know don't if you don't feel tired when you wake up you feel good and refreshed you're not exhausted, you don't, don't feel tired during the day, and you don't fall asleep easily, then you know, you're, you're probably just fine. Um, and that, you know, no matter what your watch says, or no matter what your aura ring says, or no matter how hours, if you actually feel rested during the day and feel good and have lots of energy, then, then you actually really don't have a sleep issue. Um, the, the third one there is really important though, right? So if you fall asleep super easily, right? So you're sit, you know, you, you sit down to read and you always fall asleep. You sit down to watch TV and you fall asleep. You know, you're on a bus and you fall asleep, especially if you're on a bus and fall asleep and miss your, <laughs> your, your stop. Um, you know, lying down kind of anytime you kind of lie down, if you fall asleep really quickly, um, you know, if you're falling asleep that quickly, that may be something that we have to, to look at. And so you know, we call it excessive daytime sleepiness. And, and then generally there's a few more questions that I'll, I'll, I'll generally go into with people. Um, you know, have you ever been told that you stop breathing at nighttime? And so something called apnea, where you stop breathing, um, do you snore loudly? And do you have high blood pressure? Kind of two, if you have that extra, you know, exit, if you have that excessive daytime sleepiness and you have two of the three 
um, screening questions positive, then you meet the criteria to do uh, a sleep assessment. Um, so, and, and then there's one other question that, that comes to mind around sleep, which is, do you do shift work? And so anybody that does shift work, it's so difficult on, on, on your system. You really have to have a good strategy all the way around that sleep. So, um, so that's one to, worth discussing, but you know, if you feel fine and you're not exhausted and you don't have that daytime sleepiness, um, then, you know, you can just skip the sleep, sleep week. Nice. Okay. So let's say, um, I feel tired during the day and I don't feel refreshed when I wake up, but I don't have any of those sleep apnea symptoms. How does, what's the approach then for improving sleep? Yeah. So then what we want to do is go a little bit deeper, right? And, um, we want to start to kind of understand, like, is it, is it that you're having trouble falling asleep? Is it having, you know, having trouble staying asleep? We also want to look at other factors. And so one of the big things to kind of consider, and, and this is what your, your doctor at Lifestyle RX will be doing, is, is looking at kind of other things going on. Do you have any condition that would affect your sleep? So obviously, you know, if you're in pain, that's going to affect your sleep, right? So it could be something acute, like an injury, or it could be something chronic like arthritis or chronic nerve pain, or just what we call chronic pain, where you're getting pain from part of your body and, and, and there's, um, it's unresolving. Um, you get chest pain from angina, obviously that can affect your sleep. But if you're getting chest pain at night, you probably are very concerned about that already. Um, breathing, you know, if you're short of breath and it's asthma or COPD or heart failure, that's going to really affect your sleep. Um, and, and obviously the priority is going to be dealing with the root cause. Sometimes just nuisance things like heartburn, you know, or, or mm -hmm. digestive symptoms, um, or, you know, really, really commonly urination, right? You know, um, men, as they get older, tend to get enlarged prostates. And as you get enlarged prostate, you have to go to the bathroom more frequently. And, and often that means getting up once or twice a night. Usually, you know, one of the things I look at is, you know, getting up once a night is pretty normal. Getting up twice a night, um, if there's not a urine issue, then we actually want to look at your sleep a little bit more. Menopause. Um, so women going through menopause or perimenopause, um, there's a whole combination of factors that affect sleep and, um, you know, including hot flushes. Um, itching, tingling, right? So if you've got a skin rash that's itching, that might affect your sleep. Um, or you have a chronic, you know, chronic uh, condition that, that, that gives you some itching. Uh, and then one of the, the, um, you know, kind of, uh, more chronic sleep problems we see is restless leg syndrome. And so basically you go to bed and your, 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 your legs just feel like, you know, they're, they're antsy and they feel like they have to move. So we want to take all those things into consideration. And, and obviously, if one of those things is the factor, then, then addressing that root cause is, is going to make the most sense. Um, other thing to, that we look at are medications. And so there are a lot of different medications, but we tend to look at it from the standpoint of, you know, are you on things that can stimulate your nervous system? Um, are you on things that depress your nervous system? So anything that's going to affect your nervous system may have kind of a, a, an effect on sleep. Um, bronchodilators, things that you use for asthma, um, often can, you know, uh, if you're using them, especially close to bed, they're, they're, they have stimulants and they can affect mm. your sleep. Um, some antidepressants will 
boost use of antidepressants will actually make you sleep more easily. Uh, beta beta blockers uh, can affect your sleep. So they're medications that we use for, for uh, blood pressure or for heart disease. Diuretics, obviously, you know, if you're going to the bathroom more frequently. Um, steroids, right? If you're on glucose corticoids for, um, you know, any of the arthritis uh, that you, you often, um, especially if you're taking a higher dose for a while, um, it can really amp you up and you can really kind of feel charged. Same with caffeine. Um, and then, you know, uh, one that, 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 you know, sometimes people say makes them sleep better, alcohol. Um, in fact, you know, you're more likely to fall asleep with alcohol, but it really destroys your sleep. And so you often get poor quality sleep. So we kind of want to go through those and understand if there's, you know, any, you know, you're taking anything there. Uh, and then what we look at, if you are, it, it becomes, you know, is it something that you're taking transiently, in which case, you know, we can, we can work around it. Or is it something that, you know, maybe there's an alternative um, that we can use, or maybe we can adjust the dosing such that it's not going to affect your sleep as much. Uh, and then kind of the third other factor we, we look at is acute stress, right? So, you know, um, you know, if, you know, if something major has happened to you, um, then your inability to sleep may be very much explained by what's happening there. And so then obviously, again, kind of same sort of principle, we look at that as being kind of the root cause and, and, and what can you do to support that acute stress response? Um, so, so those are kind of, you know, what we, we look at and we're then trying to figure out, you know, is, you know, is, is the sleep a problem or is it something else that's, that's, you mm -hmm. know, really the problem in sleep, the lack of sleep is just a symptom. Cool. So the, you know, the first thing that we do once we've cleared all that away and we say, no, you know what, you know, there's no, no other issues. There's no medications. There's nothing kind of acutely going on from a stress perspective. We, we address something called sleep hygiene. What is it like taking a shower before bed? What's sleep hygiene? <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's such a funny name, but uh, it's, uh, it's not about having a shower before going to bed. <laughs> Although having a hot shower before going to bed can help you sleep. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit. Um, no, it, it's, it's really kind of going through and, and, and looking at all the factors that are around you, right? So, you know, what, what's your, your t you know, sleep timing like? Do you, you know, wake up at the same time? Do you go to bed at the same time? What do you do right before you go to sleep? What is your kind of nighttime, you know, habits? Do you have kind of a nighttime ritual? Um, do you have re do relaxation exercises or any stretching or any other things? We look at your environment, right? Is your bedroom dark? You know, is it quiet? Is it cool? Um, are you only using your bed for sleeping or sex? You know, hopefully you're not watching movies in your bed or playing video games or doing anything that's, that's going to get you too, too uh, charged up. Um, so kind of along with that, we don't really want you to have a phone or computer in the bed, right? So you kind of should do those things outside of the bedroom. Um, this one's kind of harder, you know, no stressful conversations in bed. For a lot of couples, that might be the time where you kind of finally, finally got your, your partner beside you. Um, but that really, you know, having a stressful conversation right before you go to bed is, is not going to be super helpful. Um, and then the ones that I kind of have fun with, you know, especially in our groups, I'll, I'll you know, do you have a comfortable bed, right? Um, do you have a comfortable pillow? Do you have comfortable sheets? You're spending a third of your life sleeping. 
you should have really good betting, right? It just, it really is yeah. worth it. And so uh, it's something that you can, uh, you know, it's a good investment to make, put it that way. Then we look at kind of what you do during the daytime. You know, you're, are you exercising during the day? Um, so, you know, do you have a reason to be physically tired when you go to sleep? Um, obviously, if you don't do anything all day, maybe you're just not physically tired enough to sleep uh, when, when mm. you're planning to. So uh, we, we want some exercise during the day, but not too close to bedtime. Because if you do it too close to bedtime, again, it activates you. So you usually get kind of a, a, a stress response. You get adrenaline and cortisol released with the exercise. Yeah. Um, you know, with kind of what you're doing in the day, did you get outside? Um, one of the things I sometimes notice, especially because I'm working from home now, is uh, I've got to get outside during the day, right? You know, and, and sometimes I don't get outside till later in the evening when I go for a run. Um, I've actually not seen the sunlight. Yeah. Yeah. This, is, this is a horrible thing to admit. Um, like a vampire or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the difference between the light intensity, even on a cloudy day, um, it's so important because uh, one of the hormones that helps trigger sleep is melatonin. And melatonin, the stimulus for creating melatonin is, is actually light during the daytime. So you, you, mm -hmm. you really do need that, that light in the daytime. Um, napping. Right. Like, are you are you napping during the daytime? Right. If you're not sleeping at night, then, you know, and you're not happy about your sleep at night, there is no room for napping in the daytime. You're just going to make things worse. Um, so really what we want to try to do is get that nighttime sleep kind of optimized and, and then uh, and, and then, you know, uh, by cutting out the napping. Um, if you're sleeping really well at nighttime and you enjoy a short nap in the afternoon and it doesn't affect your sleep, then by all means. Um, and, and there's some people that will do that more from a create, you know, they're, they kind of, you know, reset their brain a little bit. So that it's often kind of brain fatigue can get relieved by a nap, but you really don't want it to affect your nighttime sleep. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing during the day is, is keeping yourself well hydrated um, so that you're, you're actually well hydrated. Um, and then, you, you know, kind of the corollary of that is that you're not drinking too much water at nighttime, which will obviously get you up to going to the bathroom more often. So when we look at kind of other things with food or drink, you know, you know, your evening meal, you, you, you want to have that at least two hours before you go to bed. You, you don't want to be trying to digest a big meal right before you go to bed. It will really affect your sleep. Um, you, uh, you know, you don't want to have that water right before bedtime as well. We've talked about alcohol already, and, I, and probably the, the the last thing, um, and 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 for some of us, one of the more important things is you know, how much caffeine have you had, and when did you have it? Um, mm. People vary in terms of their metabolism of caffeine, but some people uh, are fast metabolizers. You know, they get rid of that within a couple of hours. Um, some people are slow metabolizers, meaning that takes them 10 hours or so and, and it's a half-life right so you you know if you have three cups of coffee in the morning and you're a slow metabolizer you still might have like a cup of coffee in your system at bedtime so um, what I found in practice though and we, we used to do genetics at, at my lifestyle clinic people who are slow metabolizers they know it because um, they you know they, they just get wiped yeah you know, their, their sleep gets wiped out by coffee that's definitely um, me if I have yeah, any yeah. coffee anytime after lunch can't sleep yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're a fast metabolizer, you often think you know it. But what I've found is there are a lot of people who are kind of the intermediary where that's about five hours. Mm -hmm. And 
and you think, you know, they think they're fast metabolizers. And so they're not really worried about having a coffee, but, but it actually is building up in their system. And so it is kind of one of the fun genetic tests to see, um, you know, I found out I'm a fast metabolizer, which kind of makes sense because I literally could have an espresso and go to sleep. Uh, <laughs> in fact, maybe, uh, maybe not quite right at that time, but I can have it pretty late. Yeah. Um, and, and interestingly, my, my wife is an intermediate metabolizer. And hmm. so when she got this result back, it, it actually explained, you know, because often we'll, we'll go out for dinner and I might order a coffee after dinner and she would kind of go along with that and realize <laughs> that that was actually not a good thing for her. Um, but yeah. it wasn't consistent. Right. And that was the thing with kind of the people that are the intermediate metabolizers. Sometimes you get away with it. So, um, so again, kind of one of the things we, 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 we want to think about and look at a little bit more. So more often than not, and, and obviously I went through a, just a giant list of stuff there. Um, which by the way, is in our sleep guide. It's in the week on sleep. There's a, there's a, uh, a handout for it, uh, just a, just a checklist. And, um, and we probably should put it in the show notes. Um, sure. But that sleep hygiene, more often than not, even when it's not the primary issue, there's people improve by actually going through that list. Um, and if you haven't gone through that list in three or six months, it's interesting to go back to it. Cause I mean, Every time I look at it, there's always things like, oh, yeah, you know what? I, I'm getting some bad habits here. Or I'm getting some bad habits there. Um, and you can improve your sleep that way. So, um, you know, what I will see a lot of times in practice is we go through that list and, and actually everything kind of goes back to normal and people start to feel well rested in the morning. They've got that energy. They're not falling asleep easily. And, and then we're, we're pretty happy with things. Okay, cool. And then, um, so let's say you did all that sleep hygiene stuff, you implemented it all, and it's still not working. What's what's the next step? Still can't sleep. Yeah. So, so the next step I kind of look at there is is um, trying to optimize the sleep ritual, right? So, um, really trying to 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 look and say, okay, let's let's try to get a good wind down, and so kind of a couple hours before bed, kind of shutting down the screens, right? TVs, computers, phones, kind of. A, we know that the blue light from from these mm -hmm. devices will will suppress that melatonin release, and so yeah. it's it's a problem. And often the content that you're kind of on with, right? You're on your computer and you're doing your work email. You know that's probably not the most relaxing thing to do. Yeah. Um, some of the shows we watch, of course, too, right? Um, I, I actually will notice that one a, a fair bit. You know, if I watch any show that's kind of dark. Um, I often really do notice that kind of uh, yeah. not getting as good a night's sleep. Or even the 11 o'clock news. Like the oh, yeah. News, <laughs> news might be the worst. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So anything, you know, anything also that can get your mind racing. So you kind of shut that up two hours before. And then usually an hour before, you know, it, it, again, you know, we're, we got to put a kind of, I, I have to, you know, I, I'm able to say all this because, you know, I, I'm, you know, newly empty nester, right? So our, our, our youngest just went, went off to university literally last week. So, um, so I'm acting like I've got all the time in the world in the evening, <laughs> but I, I do know if you've got younger kids that, that this is, this is more challenging to find 60 minutes. Um, so 60 minutes would be ideal. Find whatever time you can um, and then begin a process to relax. Right. And so, that could be reading, it could be some light yoga, it could be some meditation. Um, and that's kind of where your hot shower, hot bath could come in. Um, 
what what happens there is if you have you know if you have a hot well hot tub you could do hot bath hot shower you you get in it and because it's hot your your body starts to vasodilate in the skin right so you start to mm-hmm. dilate all your so it sounds kind of weird you know because when you go into deep sleep what has to happen is your core temperature has to drop so you, you're having something hot in order to drop your core temperature but it works because of that vasodilation you know you're hot in the shower but you get out of the shower and your everything's kind of remains vasodilated and and your body goes to cool off and it mm-hmm. actually uh, takes blood from the core brings it up to the surface but now of course the the, the hot is gone and it actually drops your core temperature quite quite nicely. So um, it really is a good process to to kind of stimulate a, a, a better night's sleep. So you know if you kind of kind of line all that up and build something that you enjoy, um, then you can kind of get into a rhythm of it. Um, and so I you know I don't like people getting too obsessive with it because again this is something we want people to do as a lifestyle. It should be something that's enjoyable. Um, you know, how you do that with your, your spouse or partner, if you've got one, a little bit of negotiating there, you know, maybe that's, you know, <laughs> you, you've got to kind of do something that works for, for, for both of you. Um, but, you know, I, I, I always think about like when we have young kids or when we were young kids, you know, there, there was a little bit of a sleep routine, right? Their whole kind of ritual in the evening, yeah. right? So, you know, you'd have dinner and you got to play a little bit and then, you know, then it was time for a hot bath Then you got your bath and you got tucked into bed and you, you know, somebody that you loved would read a nice story to you and you'd be relaxed and boom, you'd fall asleep. Um, yeah. We kind of need to do the same thing for ourselves. And and so it's kind of giving yourself permission to, to you know, have have a, just a wonderful send off to sleep um, can can really help. Yeah. OK, let's say that still doesn't work like What's that, What's next? What's the next part of that solution? So this is when we start to get into the territory of sleep therapy, right? Um, and, and we're kind of trying to navigate our way through this. And so there is something called CBTI. So it's like cognitive behavior therapy, right? That's the... Yeah. CBT. Yeah. Yeah. So cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, right? And so it's, it's an approach that's very helpful there are a whole bunch of um, tools that you can use that, uh, and, and here, you know, you, you probably can figure out some of these yourself. So, you, you know, you could kind of read up on it. I think it, it is worthwhile to, to, to find somebody to work with, with it. Um, but yeah, so there's some tools like sleep restriction, right? So, um, you know, or sleep compression where, where you start to, um, really try to squeeze kind of your sleep into a period so you're fully asleep for the whole time. And sometimes we we do this quite naturally when when you know as physicians when we see people and you know they're trying to you know they're 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 trying to get a good night's sleep, but they're going to bed at like seven o'clock at at night and trying to wake up at seven in the morning. Well, very few people need to sleep for twelve hours, right? Yeah. And so what's, what's happening is they're trying not a lot, a lot of sleep pressure to begin with, you know, they fall asleep, wake up, fall asleep. Um, so we usually kind of naturally try to get that to a seven or eight hour window. Um, but we can get more, you know, we can, you know, depending on kind of exactly where the issue is, we can compress it more to try to get a, you know, kind of have, have sleep last a little bit longer. And then we can start to stretch it out again. 
Um, but I, I do like working, you know, having somebody to work with, with, with someone there. Um, and then, it, you know, we're always coming back on that sleep hygiene, that, that checklist, right. And stimulus control. Um, so there, there's, there's more often than not, there's something that's, that's kind of lurking there. Um, and I can't, I can't tell you how many times like with, with this program and when I talk to people, they'll be like, you know, I, I looked at that list and I realized this was a fact and I just, you know, I closed the door so the dog didn't come in and oh my God, I feel so much better. And by the way, my blood sugars are better too. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's, it really is worth going through that list. Um, then, you know, the relaxation methods. And so, you know, there are some things that you can do around, you know, breathing exercises or progressive muscle relaxation or mindfulness um, that you can learn and, and, you know, again, tuck that into your, your, um, your sleep ritual kind of leading into bedtime. Um, and, and a, a, a sleep therapist can help with that. Uh, and then, and then there's the cognitive therapy that, that often starts to result because if you're really not sleeping, uh, you can get into, you know, anxiety over this. And so, um, we, I think we've all had it when we, you know, especially, you know, when you've got something big, like an exam or, something yeah. coming up thinking about sleeping means it's harder to sleep i always notice that so if i'm worried i'm not going to sleep then i don't sleep <laughs> oh and, and and it's it's a circular thing because it's it's like literally you you go down to you go to sleep and you get the thought oh i wonder if i can't sleep oh no don't think that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so and you know we can kind of joke about that in the sense that we've all experienced it but some people really get into that like it really mm. is a problem and um and so you have to develop some tools to, to, you know, recognize it's a thought that can be let go of and, yeah. uh, and do some things so that you, you, you're, you're able to, to kind of let go of that. And, uh, and things that CBT is really good at helping. With. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, I find like clinical counselors that are trained in CBT um, and, you know, and have a background in sleep really just help you right you, you start to get a toolkit you start to work with it with with a therapist on, on that and and you can kind of uh, get, get a bunch of this stuff figured out so i guess that that sounds like you if you're getting to that point you need to work with someone so how do you how do you go about that well so this is something that isn't so easy to 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 find um there there are apps that do cbti but but you don't really have that professional so um you know, what we're looking at doing at Lifestyle Rx is, is working with some clinical counselors trained in CBT in, in offering that as a, 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 you know, for people going through this program. Um, so that's something to stay tuned uh, on. Um, or I think we're going to have that probably in the, the later half of this year. Okay. I think we have time for one more question here. So how does, um, what's the connection between sleep and blood sugars and how do those, those mix together? Yeah, so we touched on this at the very beginning, but it, it really does come back to that cortisol. So um, there is the dawn effect, and, and you know, just to remind everybody, you know, around kind of four or five in the morning, your body starts to release a little bit of cortisol to prepare you for getting up. And so, cortisol, that stress hormone, is also the get up and go hormone. Um, and so, what happens to your blood sugars with that is essentially cortisol is a signal to the liver to produce a little bit more glucose. And so your blood sugars rise a little bit. If you're not diabetic, you can still see this. If you, if you wear a continuous glucose monitor, you can still see this little rise. But if you are diabetic, you usually have some insulin resistance in the liver. And so the liver doesn't 
it doesn't slow down. <laughs> it gets the signals to produce more sugar and it overdoes it because yeah, mm -hmm. it's not responding properly to the insulin to slow down that. And so you, that's what kind of gives you the morning rise. So if you're not sleeping, you'll see this on your CGM. You'll, you'll actually see that, you know, uh, the days that you have really poor night's sleep, you're, you get much more of a cortisol response. And it's kind of like you're already awake, right? Because you are. <laughs> and so you get like a daytime cortisol level in the middle of the night and, uh, and, and, and it shows up right away in your blood sugars. So it just skews everything, everything upwards that way. And so, yeah, you know, one of the things that you can, you can start to, to see is as you start to feel better with your sleep, you'll, you'll start to notice that your fasting blood sugar comes down really kind of to, to, to what your normal is at that point. And so, um, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's actually not a bad way as long as there's not something serious like sleep apnea going on, it's not a bad way to figure out, you know, are you, you know, uh, it, it, are all the things you're doing working? Cause you might, you might yeah. be kind of like, yeah, I think I'm, you know, I think I'm not as tired and yeah, I think I got more energy. Um, but you know, sometimes you, 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 you know, for, for people whose sugars are a little bit on the higher side, you'll really notice a difference. You're like, oh no, my, you know, my blood sugar this morning was, was 6.5 instead of 8.5. So yeah. it can be that dramatically different. Okay. Awesome. Um, all right. So we'll move on to our question of the day then for this week. So um, this question uh, comes from someone that says, uh, we're talking to, to Dr. Brown here. I know you're Irish and you like potatoes, but aren't all potatoes out in the four plus two diabetes reversal strategy? Well, I'm, I guess I'm a living stereotype. I do like potatoes. Uh, <laughs> of course, the center of the potato is just pure starch, right? So, and that starch breaks down into glucose very quickly. So, you know, if you're having mashed potatoes, you're essentially eating pure glucose, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's disappointing because I know a lot of people love mashed potatoes, but uh, that probably doesn't work uh, in, in the program at all. So kind of tucked on, on the red light carbs, but I want to give a shout out to Barbara J in the community who posted that not all potatoes are the same. And so there's a, there's a wonderful link here and, and a bunch of people have commented on it. Um, and there, so there, there are different varieties of potatoes and, mm. uh, and you can do something. So you can have the smaller potatoes with their skins, uh, certain varieties seem to be better than others. Um, and cooling them afterwards, the, the starch just doesn't get it. It's harder to break down again. And so, um, so you don't get as much of uh, a glycemic load. Um, it, you know, so, so it, it basically gets absorbed a little bit, a little bit more slowly. Mm -hmm. Um. So, you know, bottom line, potatoes are never going to be green light foods, um, but they definitely can be a yellow light food. So they, you know, the mashed potatoes are going to be in that red light, but you can have some of these little potatoes in, in the yellow light. And like with any yellow light food, you kind of need to figure out what your portion is going to be. And um, CGM. the CGM is really helpful to figure out that portion. So if you're not, you know, if you're eating it and you don't spike and you're, you're, you're then you're, then you're good. You can enjoy the potato and, um, and the other thing I actually always got to remember is, you know, remember what else you're eating with it, right? Yeah. So you have a whole bunch of veggies and lots of fiber there and you've got some protein and it's kind of the last thing that's on your plate and all that other stuff's got to get digested first. It might not get, you know, you, you might not you get much of a spike from that potato. So you can enjoy it. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, that's all the time we have for this week. So thank you all so much for listening. Um, if you want to find out more about um, the show, you can uh, check the show notes. We have links to all the stuff we talked about and um, 
will also you can add ask your questions there underneath so leave your your questions and we will get to them in a future episode um, if you're interested in uh, the lifestyle rx program and you're in uh, alberta bc or ontario it's covered by provincial uh, medical insurance and you can sign up at lifestylerx.ca 